This podcast is sponsored by MSA Globe. Firefighting is essential for our communities, but it is not easy. With increased heat loads and toxic substances, the job today is more dangerous than ever. At MSA, your health and safety drive is to develop highly advanced safety equipment to protect you on the job. MSA's Globe Gear is performance and protection in perfect balance. It's designed to meet challenges you face every day to help you keep safe and healthy during your career and beyond. Get the full story at msafire.com slash globe. Hi, and welcome to Today on Firehouse. Uh, this is Peter Matthews. I'm the editor of Firehouse Magazine and conference director for Firehouse Expo. Uh, I'd just like to thank you for listening uh, to the latest podcast here, and also a big uh, thank you to Globe and MSA for their continued support of our podcasts uh, this year. Um, really excited today to have Chad Costa on uh, this podcast to kind of talk about some of the wildland incidences that have occurred over the last uh, few months. Uh, Chad has responded to two of the major fires, which unfortunately uh, 2020 has again seen uh, historic numbers of fires um, as far as uh, you know, areas burned and, and just resources needed. And Chad's actually gonna talk about uh, another fire that uh, occurred this year that broke uh, pretty much every record uh, as far as uh, acres and whatnot burned in, in California. So we appreciate you joining us. Um, we're going we're gonna to link to uh, some articles and some other content on the firehouse.com's podcast player page. So take a look there. But uh, Chad Costa, thanks for joining us. And uh, uh, we really appreciate your insight for what's going on. Uh, myself coming from the East Coast, uh, a completely different world. Uh, I've worked at Firehouse 21 years and still cannot begin to fathom what it is that the quote-unquote West Coast firefighters deal with. So uh, before we get into that, your experience in both urban and um, the wildland side is just just so deep that it's a, it's a great opportunity for, have, for us to have you on. So tell us about your background in the fire service. Yeah, right on, Pete. Thanks for having me. Um, so, so this is uh, about my 22nd year in the fire service or my 22nd fire season. Um, I do work, you know, I do work in a city, um, a pretty much a concrete city surrounded by, by wildland urban interface and, and uh, do respond, you know, as far as at work, do respond outside the city limits into more of a wildland environment. But most of my experience came from prior background in, in Cal Fire, um, responding to incidents throughout the state and on uh, currently on a federal incident management team as a division group supervisor and a, a branch director um, and also often respond with the cal fire incident management teams to you know the larger fires here in the state or in some cases out of state um, so that's kind of you know through those 22 seasons i've bounced around into city and fire districts, so kind of more rural to a more city fire department, but, you know, have been lucky enough to kind of have a broad spectrum of that experience to kind of see both sides. And, um, yeah, so that's that kind of summarizes those 22 years. Well, great, Chad. Thank you. And and, and so we'll kind of dig into it. So, so the August complex fire um, started off, um, early in the in the summer, um, and and eventually burned uh, one million thirty two thousand acres, uh, as a last report from um, from Insaweb, and and it's just phenomenal. This this was actually what two fires that that grew into one, um, and and you were kind of on um, you know the, the front lines of it. I guess we could say the front lines. It was it was so big. Um, sure. But just can, can you talk about that fire and, and kind of the, the, the progression as, as the two fires burned together and, and ultimately, you know, what you encountered is what was it? I think it was six counties or seven counties that this involved. And, and it was just over such a, a tremendous area that um, trying to get the resources where you needed them, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, this is, un, I think this is, you know, unprecedented for everybody. So no matter how much experience you have or, or what you've done in your career, this was a new environment for, I believe, everyone, you know, from the highest level to the lowest. Uh, it was incredible. Just, I, I can't even, you know, it's hard to explain the, the, the just sheer size of that. You know, when you're talking a million acres, I was a branch 
um, in Covelo, California was the branch I had and just the branch I was in, we, you know, that I was responsible for, we're estimating somewhere in the 25 miles of fire line. Um, so that's, you know, what, what you would normally have, you know, say five to 10 miles, you know, you're, you're doubling and tripling the amount of land that you're responsible for just simply because there's just not enough people and enough resources to, to break it down into such, you know, a normal size branch or a normal size division. So extremely complex, um, the August West, so just the West side of the fire, the ocean side was, was mostly run by the Cal Fire incident management teams um, and the threats that the fire had into the communities. And, and yeah, it, it was incredible. I think at, at I think um, if I have it right, there's somewhere at one time there's, I believe the whole complex had four to five incident management teams and they broke it up from the north, south and west and then uh, also on the east had had a team on it too. So um, four to five incident management teams on one incident is is yeah, it's not even fathomable until this year. And what comprises an incident management team? I mean, what kind of resources do you have? What kind of, uh, you know, rank and file do you have within that? And then ultimately, what can what can each of those um, support? I would say the biggest thing that the that the management teams is, is logistical support. When you're talking about thousands of people showing up at, at a base camp or, in this case, multiple base camps, somebody's got to manage you know the logistics making sure there's bathrooms making sure there's places to sleep um that to me is kind of the the main thing um there's obviously multiple areas of the ics system that the management teams kind of oversee whether it be operations whether it be um planning um like a like i mentioned logistics feeding they just the teams are comprised of a bunch of people with specialties in the areas that they're responsible for to ensure that that ship sails and to ensure that the troops are taken care of, to ensure that the public is getting, you know, information in a timely manner and accurate to their PIO systems, um, to make sure the maps are getting printed. Uh, it, it's a, it's an incredible giant um, that shows up. And for the August complex, just the west side, which was something like a hundred miles of fire line was two incident management teams working together jointly, which uh, I don't believe has ever happened before either on a wildland fire, uh -huh. which, um, but it was just so big, you know, just so much area and so much threatened that uh, we really needed to double and triple the amount of people that were managing, you know, as well as resources. And I mean, just, you know, so, so, the ability to have a face-to-face, -face, I mean, is that even possible in something like that for, you, for your for your incident management teams? I mean, can they, they, they can't just drive, like you said, a couple of miles. I mean, it's, it's, it was forest area too, correct? So, I mean, you're, you're literally without roads to access multiple areas at that point. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a challenge. You know, the face-to-face -face communication is becoming I would say substantially more difficult um, just due to the sheer size of these fires that we're seeing out here. Um, and with COVID, uh, you know, there's a strong emphasis to try and, you know, using cellular, you know, using Zoom, using those type of tools that we have out there. Um, so we're using those, but yeah, when you speak about going into a forest and getting away from the cities that, you know, connectivity is always a challenge. Um, they try to do things to try to improve that, but the reality is, is that um, it was, let's see, the branch I was on, I tried to drive, it took me about two days, two shifts to drive the whole thing. You're talking like eight hours to drive half of it. Um, so yeah, there, a lot of stuff we're doing uh, over a cell phone, you know, you're you're okay. not able to go back and and do that face-to-face -face as much as you would in, in, in a smaller type event where, like you said, you know, travel times aren't quite as drastic. Yeah, that, that's just, that's just mind-boggling. Um, 
but but, but it, it is. you know I guess it's, yeah. again it's becoming the norm. So um, uh, just yeah, and, and and so the technology. I mean, so as far as and, and you're you're a tech guy. Uh, we just had the webcast with you recently uh, about staffing, and we kind of you know to a degree cover wildland uh, staffing issues, but. The technology when you're out there, uh, are you, are you do you have support? Is that something that the teams bring along so that you ensure you've got the ability for multiple people to be on a Zoom, or uh, what what kind of goes into that? Yeah, you know, like any logistics, right? So the more fires there are, the larger they get, the more difficult it is to get something. So whether you're talking about a sleep trailer, or you're talking about a what you know a Verizon or AT and T you know satellite cow or something to project um cellular or wi-fi um it gets you know the logistics get difficult and and i saw that this year with this there's so many fires going on at once and the sheer complexity and size that um at times there there wasn't the support to to to, uh, allow you to be really successful with you know those technology tools that are out there so um it's there the team's uh, absolutely embrace it. Um, they absolutely try to to use those tools um, to limit the amount of face-to-face contact, and that's sheer just because COVID. Um, and also try to increase your efficiency of time of not having to, you know, drive back and forth somewhere. But but we're limited to you know connectivity, and that's that's always been a challenge for us. But yeah. Yeah, it was it seemed more than normal this year just because of because of you know how many were going on at once. It's just there's only so much out there. Only so many resources. Yeah. Yeah. And and so COVID. I mean, that's, that's another good point. Uh, you know, especially now as we're kind of going into that second wave of it. Um, you know, how did that kind of change? Um, I hate to say the front lines, but but how did that change the, the front lines of what was going on? For your folks, where uh, it's not a structural fire, right? They're not bouncing in out of the scene in two hours. Uh, you, you, you know, you're you're going several hours in an emergency vehicle with somebody. Then you're spending two weeks with them and, and whatnot. So, what what did you mm. folks do to ensure you know the safety of the firefighters and really all the support resources that were brought into the different situations? Yeah, it was a big it was a big deal this year. I I think it was like everyone, you know, you kind of learn as you go. And early in the year, nobody was really sure how some of the the implemented plans were going to work and how they were going to be carried out. But the big things are the congregation of people in one location. Um, I noticed a, a big difference. Uh, they did a lot more uh, video type. So briefings are really important in a wildland fire. Um, you know, the briefing, the morning briefing before shift, there was, there were video type um, briefings where we were sitting out in the field, you know, everybody's spaced apart and we're watching, you know, a big screen of a presentation or a briefing that's happening 30, you know, 30 miles, 60 miles away. uh, And we're just sitting there watching it on a TV. so, so that's I would say the biggest thing I noticed was was the base camps, um, the spike camps, the places where there was a large congregation of people. Um, there was a lot of you know effort to limit that uh, that social distancing type of stuff. Um, not limit it, but but provide you know an opportunity. But unfortunately. Um, you know, once you make it out onto the line and you're actually fighting fire and actually engaged, uh, it's difficult to, you know, to, to constantly um, keep that six foot distance. And um, it's, it's hard to do. We tried to implement what, what people commonly say as a module as one. And basically what the definition of that long story short would be, you know, the, the strike team of engines, um, those 21, 25 people kind of try to stick together and not co-mingle with other strike teams as much as they can, um, trying to keep them in the same hotels, things like that. Um, just, just trying to do everything we can with the realization that we're still there to do a job that's dangerous, that we can't, you know, we can't always follow all the guidelines. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was, there was some substantial changes. Um, and it seemed like kind of throughout the year, 
you know, it sort of molded itself to what really worked and what didn't. And, and, you know, a lot of things again, fall back to connectivity and, and your ability to, to, you know, do a zoom call or not based off of your cellular coverage. So that's just kind of place okay. dependent on where you're at. All right, cool. Um, and thank you. I mean, thank you for that insight. That's certainly interesting. I know that was something that was, you know, multiple news stories come, come May and June. Uh, once everyone really had an understanding what was going on, there was a concern that, you know, teams would be out or, you know, you'd really have to space out teams potentially creating uh, unsafe uh, spaces for them where they're going to be doing their R&R &R and, and, and other things. So um, it's good to see that, that it kind of worked out well, that you were able to make that social distancing work um and yeah. all that you guys so, were dealing with so as much as possible okay. you know i'm sure it will work if yeah but yeah yeah well I, I think what is it we're in the second round now and folks are still trying to figure it out in a lot of places so um yeah but but we'll we'll skip that discussion right now so uh yeah okay and then uh, so you also you you took a, another trip down to uh to new mexico uh for the luna fire uh, that was uh, much more recently. Um, so, so you spent most of your uh, most of your summer and, and, and beginning of fall on the road. Um, so, this this fire was a ten, it, it ended up consuming just over ten thousand acres. Um, so, tell us a little bit about that fire and, and the scenarios that your um, you know your firefighters out there were facing. Yeah, you know, one thing that that you know I think it's worth saying is we are so blessed to have the California Fire Service that we have. I mean, the resources that are available to us is, as managers of, of fires are, um, is incredible here in California. I mean, you, you look at a fire and you look at the sheer number of personnel that are on it, and you're looking at thousands of people and, and all that's needed. And in fact, many fires that we're on, especially lately, the last five years, um, we're short, really short on people and can use a lot more. And we're doing, you know, a lot with less. Um, but traveling to uh, have the opportunity to go to Washington, I've had the opportunity now to go to New Mexico. Um, what you realize is when you get there, and beautiful, I might add, um, you realize, when you, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. I didn't realize northern but, New Mexico. But that drive, it better be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, a, it's not a short one. But when you show up as a California firefighter to, to a fire in another state, a wildland fire, um, it, it's a little bit shocking on the, the number of personnel uh, is substantially less. So we show up, you, you know, we showed up to the Luna fire. Um, and at the time, you know, it wasn't a real big fire. And, 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 and I say that just because we're kind of getting used to a, it's not big unless it's a hundred or more, you know, I mean, it, it's crazy. These fires are getting so large, but you know, 10,000 acres sounds like nothing. Well, that might be true um, to us as far as acreage, but when you look at the personnel and what's available, plus it was really late in the season. So, so a lot of people for them would, are, were already laid off and you show up and you, you know, I think at one time the total personnel in the fire was like 290 people. And so, so now you're saying, okay, it's a smaller fire, has lots of threats. It was threatening multiple communities. The division I had was um, was really threatening uh, the community of Chacon. And, and it's like, yeah, it's smaller, but you don't have the same amount of people. So the complexity is actually just as hard, if not worse, because you just don't have the amount of resources to throw at something. Um, and you really got to be strategic with those resources that you do have you know you may only have a few dozers and a few hand crews and a couple shot crews and and so you know that's the complexity uh for me is not only a little bit different country you're dealing with a little bit of different fuel type but really it's okay what what am i going to accomplish today to give us some to do the most good with you know a real limited amount of resources and there's things that happen where you have divisions of the fire that you know have almost no maybe go unstaffed you know don't have any people on it because you need to focus all your efforts on you know one division that that is you know actively threatening a community or something um shifting resources around is is 
was pretty, you know, was every day an everyday thing just to accomplish your your goals. So it was it was different. Um, it gave me a lot of respect for the country, and you know, you you don't realize, you know, you really don't when you're sitting here in California how how much country and how much you know how much is out there until you get there, and it's it's quite eye opening. And, and so was there was there differences, you know, at, at the Luna Fire and just you know I just did a quick uh, quick look here on Google. So this this ten thousand acre fire is essentially fifteen point six two five square miles. Um, mm -hmm. So it's that's huge. I mean that that's the size of a lot of communities. Um, um, I mean that's you know in terms of New Jersey that could be eight cities right there. You know seven cities because right. they're so densely packed into two and three square miles. So you know, what, what going back to the Luna fire, what were the biggest differences for the from the fires that you're accustomed to? I mean, like you said, the staffing's different. Um, what about the conditions? I mean, were the conditions fairly similar to the other ones that you've worked in in the past? Um, as far as the the terrain, and then ultimately, you know, yeah. the resources that you had there. I mean, how 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 different was that? You know, I don't I don't think there's a significant difference uh anything that stands out major it's and that fire specifically is really high country we're talking you know between seven and eleven thousand square feet depending on where you were on the fire um so obviously a california kid uh i i, I got to the the hotel i was at in uh, angel fire and uh, angel fire new mexico um and i climbed to the second floor you know to go to my room and I noticed I'm like, wow, I'm kind of winded, you know, like that, that's, that's okay. probably a big change is like, you're going from 500, you know, elevation to, to 10,000. It, it, it's a, it, it's a pretty big difference. Um, the, the big thing that I, that I would say is different from here to there is the sheer number of people in the houses you're in California. It's, it's typically, I would say typically, we're dealing with more of a wooey type situation where, um, you know, that wildland urban interface where we have communities, sometimes large communities, sometimes um, many, you know, thousands of people that are in the fire's path. Um, not the, the sheer number of people and houses uh, aren't as much. So, so, you know, in some ways that makes your your complexity a little bit easier in the sense of your in California, there's everywhere you go, there seems like there's a house, like you, it's hard to find, you know, an area that doesn't. Um, but yeah, I would say that's kind of the biggest difference is more of a forest fire type scenario um, with some scattered communities that are obviously threatened. So the threat is still the same, just not quite as, as much for the population. Okay. And, and then, I mean, too, I, as much as I know about New Mexico, there's still tons to learn. I mean, right, in general, there's not a lot of, of large departments. I mean, you've got a handful of large ones out there. So in that case, yeah. when you got to New Mexico, where were those resources from? Do, do you recall? Yeah, mostly, uh, mostly Forest Service, uh, BLM, federal firefighters for the most okay. part. Um, like you said, you know, you're, there is some big cities, the Albuquerque's, the Santa Fe's, um, but where I was, you know, there was no big major cities or, you know, you can't call in San Francisco fire or LA city fire, LA County. I mean, California just has so much more for so much more punch, you know, so many more engines and dozers and helicopters. And, and, and so although all the same resources are there, it's just the availability is is substantially less. Um, okay. But yeah, mostly I would say a vast majority of the resources that were there are federal, um, either either Forest Service, BLM, or you know some spinoff from 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 the Fed federal government. All right, cool. And, and so. You know, you kind of mentioned about the resources before, and, and that's something I'd, I'd like to jump into here. Is um, you know, how do you how do you determine uh, the August Complex fire was was 
complex, right? It was complex, I guess. Yeah. But when you, when you have something that big, where, where are you looking to make the saves? Where are you looking to make the gains? You know, what is your, you know, what is your pinch point and, and where is it that you're going to, you're going to pull resources out? I mean, what do you determine um, is savable uh, when, when it's coming to property and potentially, I, mean, I hate to ask, right? But unfortunately, yeah. when, when you might know you have folks that are in certain areas that you've tried to evacuate, et cetera, um, is, is you focused on infrastructure, uh, you know, or, or what is it that you, what, what's your formula and your criteria? Yeah, you know, uh, to answer the question, I think, you know, it, it's good to kind of break it down from from early on in the incident, you know, and then as, as it progresses longer, th- things can kind of change a little bit um, based off evacuations and, and, and things like that. But but one of the, unfortunately here uh, for me and for the other brothers and sisters uh, that fight with me, um, you know, it's been a rough five years, really, um, where we've had to, unfortunately, there's been some pretty devastating fires uh, in the area, you know, that I live here uh, in the North Bay. So, so yes, we're talking about the August complex. There's the recent glass fire, the, the, um, the Walbridge, the LNU complex, the Tubbs fire, um, yeah, I could go on and on. Unfortunately, uh, the Mendocino complex. So all those fires, um, when you initially, when they initially happen, uh, or what happens, you know, initially from from a fire managers, you know, a battalion chief, an incident commander, a division group supervisor, branch, is we really have to do a quick analysis of what we say. What we say is, you know, our values at risk, and and what that means is basically what are the values and and we have to make a determination about based off how many resources we have, what resources we have, what time of day it is. There's so many factors that go into that risk analysis, but we basically have to say, okay, um, what's going to be the, the most, you know, what, what do we need to throw our resources at that's the most important? And it, and it always starts with life. I mean, it has to, everything we do, yeah. And every decision we make has to be based off, you know, a risk is based off what we're saving. And if it's people's lives and it's early in the incident, um, you know, everything goes at that. Everything goes to evacuations, um, might be sheltering in place, but usually evacuations, getting people out of harm's way, that's our number one goal. So the reason I mention that is, is when you talk about the August complex, that's a little bit different in the sense of, in the sense of that burn for quite a long time, it's huge. Um, once you have that opportunity to get your feet underneath yourself and say, okay, you know, the sheriff's department, we've evacuated this community that's threatened, then we have to go to what's next. And what's next is like you mentioned, infrastructure. So early in an incident, you know, if we got people out and we're feeling pretty good about life, then we have to make some decisions about what are we going to save or what are we going to try to save um, if we're given that opportunity. I mean, some of these fires in the first night, the Tubbs fire, you know, there, there was not much saving. Um, it was yeah. get everybody out and stay alive. Um, but when we move to the infrastructure, typically what I'm looking for is what are those things that the community needs when this thing is done? Um, your grocery stores, your schools, your, you know, your your core um, your core values to a community are really important to us. Um, you know, if if a house burns, that's obviously we don't want to lose a house. But if we lose the school, that's going to be a major blow to a community. Um, so that's kind of how that goes. It usually goes life. It usually goes property next. That value, and then and then as that progressive you know like once you have your your community kind of buttoned up or you feel pretty good about it then you kind of focus more on that perimeter control limiting the spread of the fire i mean all that stuff that i'm talking about kind of goes all at once you know you're doing them all it's not like you typically you wouldn't ignore one of them but but those are kind of like my check marks of a priority and and it, and it all is based off of how many resources you have, how big's the fire, where's the fire at? Is it nighttime? Can you use airplanes? You know, I mean, that's, 
we might might be daytime, but it's so darn windy that airplanes can't fly, or there's so much smoke that they can't. I mean, it's just that's what I love about the wildland fire. You know, I'm yeah. Don't get me wrong, I love structured fires and stuff like that as well. But the complexity of a wildland fire, especially here in California, when you're throwing people and houses and and all these things in the mix and a fast-moving incident. You know, it's it's challenging and and I love it. You know, I love I love the challenge. Yeah. It's just I'm I'm done of I'm pretty much like all of us we're we're done of burning down our own communities. You know, that's 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 the hardest part about all this is just so much of it lately has been around here and it's a whole nother world when you talk about fighting fire in your own community versus driving in New Mexico and not that I'd treat it, you know, not that I treat it differently but emotionally it's a big difference well and, and that's a great you know segue unfortunately um and, and kind of what i want to talk to you about next is is you know you, you wrote an article and we'll talk about the article in a few minutes here um you know for us in the, in the july issue but um in there that you mentioned that that that, that um your wife and, and the kids were were trying to flee um the tubs fire and with that, I mean, what what's going through your mind? I mean, your your region of California has just been um, annihilated in the last few years, yeah. and I don't even know if that's the proper term. But um, from where I sit in Texas, that's what it seems to be. When you see how many fires have burned, um, what what's going through your mind? Like I said earlier, you know, you're 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 out of the area, um, whether you're in a fire or some time off, and um, you know, how do you um, you know, how do you manage both of those uh, responsibilities? Yeah, it's, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, you know, not not sure how well I manage it, but um, ultimately, uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's an emotional and stressful time for everybody when you're dealing with either your own family, like you mentioned, you know, evacuating the the the, the recent Wallbridge. Um, fire, I, you know, am, am on the incident and on my day off, I'm evacuating my parents from their ranch. Um, wow. There's million phone calls. I mean, I can't tell you how many phone calls and text messages you get from friends and family, people that want information, you know, they want to know if their house is still standing, you know, and you're having to be the bearer of good news or bad news. Um, it's extremely yeah, it's difficult, but I'll tell you what, Pete, the, the thing is, is about firefighters, I think there's something about, you know, and I think you can attest to this, is there's something about us and how we're built and something in our blood. I don't know what it is, but for me, like in the moment, it's just, it feels the best to just go to work. You know, it feels the best to be there. Yeah. It feels the to be making a difference and me making decisions and getting stuff done and like that's the therapy of this is like is like as much as you can be involved the recent class fire we had um i was with the family and you know in tahoe on vacation and you know i got in my truck and came home you know came right to work like cut it in half and just left my family there and didn't leave them there. They, you know, they're, they, they, they can handle the vacation, but without me. And I came back and I was, it's just, it, yeah, I can't really say there's a formula for it. I think ultimately for us, just knowing that you helped and were a part of it and did something good is, is really fulfilling, uh, makes you feel a little better. But when it's all said and done, I know, you know, we've talked about this stuff before um, and I can get kind of emotional about it because you know, when it's all said and done, and you look back at it, you realize how many emotions went through you. You know, you realize how tough some of those decisions were. I mean, I, this summer I was asked, you know, make a decision if you're going to evacuate a city. You know, um, that's a tough decision to make when you're talking about a lot of people in that city that I know. I mean, I know the fire chief really well. I have family that live there, and it's like, you got to make a decision right now based off everything you know. Are you going to evacuate that city and are you going to send thousands of people out of their homes? Um, and that's, I'm okay with making that decision if I feel like it's, you know, going to save some lives. But 
those are those are much difficult those are those decisions become much more um much more difficult when you're dealing with your own your own house or your own friend's house or the the community you grew up in um so I don't really have you know a straightforward answer. I just think for me uh in the moment, you know like in the moment we just do our job and we just we just block it out somehow and we stay yeah. the course and uh and deal with the aftermath after you know that's that's kind of the reality for me there's no time to uh to sulk over it or let it get you um there's just too much going on and there's too much at risk and there's too much to do uh that it just it's just doing your job you know um but yeah afterwards man afterwards when you sit down and you lay in bed and you think about it it's like wow you know yeah (laughs) that was a rough time a rough couple weeks right exactly and so with that i mean i assume uh you know, you, you already have some plans, you know, for, 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 you know, your family to go to, uh, should, should something come up. And again, with everything going on the last couple of years, you know, you might have to have multiple plans, right? I mean, some of these, yeah. you know, some of these fires have been so drastically fast that, you know, plan A is, is, is not going to work. You have to, to go with a plan B or plan C to get far enough away. But I mean, how much of that do you go through, um, you know, with, with, with your wife and kids and also like, you know, what, you know, what kind of reaction do you get from your kids uh, as far as, you know, that I, I guess at this point they're probably accustomed to the fact that you're, you're out for long stretches and stuff like this, but you know, when, when, when you're out and, and it, it, it hits so close, it hits home really, um, you know, yeah. what kind of reactions do you get from them and how do you handle that? I think that would be some interesting advice, especially for our younger reader, or I'm sorry, our younger listeners in this case, um, they may not necessarily be prepared for that. They may not have had a lot of uh, uh, experience passed down. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible how much resiliency kids have. I mean, God, my kids sat in a car on an overpass and watched, you know, the fire burn in the Santa Rosa and watched, you know, houses burn. And and um, and I and I I hear them tell this story. They were they were obviously younger then, but. And it's like, you don't really realize how much this stuff affects them. We're so, you know, I don't know what it is, but they are so ingrained with the job and what we're doing and trying to be better and and trying to do the best we can that, you know, a lot of times, I think for me, you know, I didn't really think about how much it affected them until obviously afterwards and you hear them talk about it and, you hear about the event, but they're amazingly resilient. Um, I think that there is no way to truly prepare for what some of the, the children or some of the people have been through here. Um, these, these five years, I mean, it's just year after year destruction. It's almost kind of crazy, but it's kind of starting to become somewhat normal um, for yeah. it to be smoky as heck for school to be closed. I mean, not non COVID time. Um for us to be evacuated, they're kind of like used to it. Um, but I, I, I think ultimately what I would say is that the, the California Fire Service, hopefully across the nation, um, I know for us, has grown exponentially over the last few years. And the big things that are much more improved is, is just the communication, the notifications. I mean, it's somewhat, I think, um, like I, I sometimes I, I, I get frustrated with the amount of chatter is about like this upcoming wind event and the notifications and gosh, you know, you're getting Facebook and, and Instagram and 14 yeah, text yeah. messages through Excel. It's, it's kind of crazy sometimes where I just like, I'm like, God, don't, we're, are we creating too much panic? Um, but then I look back on it and I'm like, no, we're not, because what we're doing is is we're making sure that people understand the severity of the situation. We're making people much more aware that the environment that they live in, and just because there hasn't been a fire somewhere in 30 years doesn't mean it's not going to devastate the whole community. Um, so, so I think our kids in school, they're being 
you know, they're, they're, they're talking more about wildland fire. They're talking more about evacuation plans. They're talking more about, you know, the what ifs and what could happen. Um, so we're making some, some substantial improvements, but it's, it's probably difficult for me to sit here and say like, you know, this is what you have to do. I think it's just more of a, of, of a topic of conversation and um, we're much more prepared to where people know, you know, hey, we're getting into a red flag event. Um, have your stuff ready and be ready to mm-hmm. leave, you know, if something happens. And we're, I'm pretty proud of, of, you know, the accomplishments we've made in this area as far as from the Tubbs fire was like, you know, I've, like you mentioned in the article was, you know, a lot of hard lessons learned, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it, it, it's, it's good. I mean, you, you did a good job of explaining some of the, the lessons and, and we'll, again, we'll jump to that in a second. I, I promise. Um, but, but just ultimately the, the number of fires, I mean, when I was putting together my editorial for the December issue, uh, you know, looking at all the different sites, I mean, it's, Every you know every year the top ten uh, fires for for area burned uh, three or four are booted out in the last few years and replaced with three from that three to four sometimes five from that year. Um, mm. So like you said, areas that haven't had a fire in a long time, um, that's not necessarily the case. And I I moved to Texas uh, just about six years ago, and I have a running joke with my buddy here that um, you know. Texas is beautiful. It never rains, et cetera. And yet, uh, since I've been in Texas for six years, they've had devastating flooding every single year. Um, so departments across the country, uh, really just, you know, the game's changing and, 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 you know, it's, it's the natural disasters, the wildland incidents. Um, obviously COVID is just really kind of spun what a lot of departments have to do. Uh, you know, I know a couple of firefighters who are out right now because they've been exposed, uh, which has, you know, led to stations closing or brownouts of companies. And um, so it's just the 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 world is being rocked by so much. The fire service is having to change so often what's going on. Um, you know, departments that didn't have a boat, you know, three years ago have boats and they've unfortunately had to use them in their community since. And, you know, same thing yeah. on the fire side. I mean, I forget how many fires or how many stations it was. I mean, several stations burned in 2017, um, including, and I know there was one um, in um, our station design awards, like two years prior, it was a brand new station, state-of-the-art station, and it was just, you know, swept away just like that. I think maybe a couple of bricks were left from the front of the building. So, um, you know, so... The number of challenges that the fire service is facing is just mind-blowing. But the way the wildland world is kind of set up, I mean, it seems like, you know, you do a great job uh, to getting, you know, the education each year out to the crews, um, the situation reports. And, again, it's different for structural firefighting. So there's a lot of – we can't have a lot of apples to uh, apples comparisons here. Um, But back in July, uh, you had written an article for us that that, the – article headline was the new normal and lessons learned and that's uh, from the Kincaid and the Tubbs fires um, you know you, you kind of share that this is something that needs to be these two incidents that you worked are, are lessons learned uh, you know into the future and let's see um, the one fire was uh, 36,000 acres the other was 77,000 acres so right. you know, that's nothing compared to the August now granted this was a heavily populated area both these were heavily populated areas but do you want to share some of the lessons that you shared in that article? And again, we'll, we'll link to that at uh, firehouse.com's podcast player page, but do you want to share some of the lessons from, from those two fires with our readers before we wrap up? Yeah. And you know, the, when I, when I think back to 2017 and I think about that day, you know, the events leading up to that day. And I think about the communication, that we had uh, internally in the fire department um, and, and the external communication with, with the citizens. Um, there was, there was chatter. Um, you, you, I knew that, I knew that it was going to be, you know, a significant win event. Uh, I listened to conference call that morning and you could tell that the chiefs that were talking were concerned. Um, okay. 
but but I would say the biggest lesson learned of anything is just that communication with the public. And the big change that you see now is is early um, communication through social media, through TV, through radio, um, through Nixels, things like that, uh, to the public to say, you know, hey, something's coming and all the all this stuff that we've been talking about and your to-go bags and your emergency bags and your your get ready set go bags whatever you want to call it um have them ready that's that's i would say the number one thing um we're much more much better about that communication because the reality is pete is that we don't have enough firefighters like the people out there listening that think um you know the firefighters are just going to come save them it, it's it's not realistic. It, there's not enough of us when there's, you know, a fire that's moving at a rapid pace like that in a heavily populated area or, you know, <clears throat> multiple populated areas. There's just not enough of us to, to be at every house. Um, so the public needs to be ready and be prepared and have an action. And the other thing that, that I think I've seen, you know, a drastic change in for the good is what we used to do is we used to say, okay, um, here's a fire. It's threatening this community. Let's evacuate this area, right? And that's nothing's changed there. But but what's really changed is now when I'm making a decision about evacuating and I have these slides in my tray of what the heck's happened in the last few years, that area of either evacuation warning or, or a mandatory evacuation um, is substantially larger um, than it was okay. before because because of the rapid you know spread of these fires we're evacuating look at the Kincaid it was a um, um, I forget how many thousands almost all of Sonoma County got evacuated because all the fire predictions were hey this thing could make it all the way to the ocean um, yeah. now it never did it didn't do that but um, if it did we wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't have lost um, very many people, if any, because the evacuations were done and people were were moved out of the way. Um, so, so I guess that early preparation, that communication with the public, um, with the citizens, and then ultimately making um, much more drastic decisions about about evacuations and getting people out of harm's way that maybe before we said, you know, it's never going to burn. Like that's the typical one, right? No way. It's never like somebody say, Hey, is it going to burn to to my house? And I would say, like, I'd tell my parents five years ago, I would have said the wall bridge. No, you don't need to evacuate. You're fine. You know, it's never going to make it to you this year. They evacuated, you know? (laughs) Um, And, and I said, I said, listen, I told, I remember telling this conversation to him. I said, I'm serious, you know, you guys need to take this serious and you guys need to be ready because because what we thought wouldn't happen has happened and and it's blown us away with how it's happened. So that the, there's a lot of change to just the mindset and, you know, how we think about things and the reality is, is that what used to be a no, it would never happen, now it's like it might it actually might happen. We better be prepared for that. Again, I think like we've heard this year, right? The new normal. I mean, and it, that's your headline. So I don't want to steal that from you, but it, again, it's just, it's another thing where another situation where um, it, it's changing. It seems to be changing drastically. Um, for, yeah. for, again, for, for you folks on the first or on the, on the fire side, firefighting side of it, but even again, for the citizens that, that were, a little more um, um, slow to react and to respond. Um, you know, a few years ago, I visited a cousin who lived uh, in Santa Clarita. We're in that area. She mm-hmm. lives in Santa Clarita now. And um, fires came right up to her area. I mean, like within blocks. And I was yep. just blown away because, again, it was it was a very urban area, not what I would expect. And then last year, I was actually in Santa Clarita to visit her and, and, and my aunt. And... Um, Two three months later, they had fires. Literally, uh, my my aunt lives in a in a senior complex, and the fire was like right outside the gate. You know, so kind of like we had, you know we had driven by, 
you know, this beautiful overlook that you could just see for miles. You could see um, uh, the amusement park and all that other stuff. And it's just yep. a beautiful area. And literally, you know, flames were looking at that fence and, and they evacuated early. Um, but it's just, for me, I, I'm just, how does, you know, how does it happen? <laughs> how does a fire get <laughs> that close? Um, but it, again, it's, 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 it's happening every place, um, which just, yeah, it's just mind boggling. So. Uh, yeah. Southern California, you know, most of my career, it's like the big, large fires. Um, you know, you went to SoCal, you went South and now, uh, the, the Northern California is much more, uh, timbery, you know, uh, the SoCal is a lot more brush, um, but we're seeing we're seeing large fires in the timber. And when you have, you know, a fire in a timber and it's got wind on it and slope and it's, it, it, it you're not stopping it, you know. And and uh, and yeah, you know, there were just so many things that are changing. You know, just talking about the power company and power safety shutoffs and and it's all for the, where, you know, we learned, we're learning lessons like, Hey, you know, unfortunately we have to get used to not having power for a week and you better have a generator. Um, because, you yeah. know, unfortunately a lot of these fires are started by, by power lines. So, so yes, for the public and the citizens, there's major changes. I mean, not even talking about COVID, but yes. Um, everybody's learning those lessons. Everybody's learning that, it's a beautiful place to live, but, um, you know, you have to be ready. You have to be prepared and you have to have some, some, some thought process because you never know what's going to happen. And it doesn't matter if you live in a, in a city or not, um, you know, a large enough fire that starts burning houses, uh, pretty much matchsticks. And it's pretty easy for it to go from one to the next when you got a 40, 50, 60 mile an hour wind blowing, um, there's, you know, we've seen that plenty over the last few years. Yeah. Well, well Chad, I, I appreciate you joining us. Anything else uh, you'd like to throw in before we uh, we wrap up? No, I, um, I'm good. I, I appreciate, you know, you giving me the opportunity. Um, hopefully some of these articles that are out there that I and others have put out, you know, we can, we can learn from each other and, learn from, you know, some of my mistakes or some of the things that, that, that I overlooked. And, and that's the, that's the game plan is, is that's why we do this. That's why you do what you do, you know, just to try to get that information out there and make us all a little better. So I appreciate all your efforts and, and the time you put in and giving me this opportunity. Thank you. Well, Chad, thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, stay safe and uh, we look forward to seeing some more articles from you soon. Right on Pete. This podcast is sponsored by MSA Globe. Firefighting is essential for our communities, but it is not easy. With increased heat loads and toxic substances, the job today is more dangerous than ever. At MSA, your health and safety drive us to develop highly advanced safety equipment to protect you on the job. MSA's Globe gear is performance and protection in perfect balance. It's designed to meet challenges you face every day to help you keep safe and healthy during your career and beyond. Get the full story at msafire.com slash globe.